welcome back, everybody. This is another episode of Finding Your Stride. I'm Brandon Handy, and thank you so much for joining us today. Today, our episode is focused on technology in the classroom, and we have a special guest with us today. Our special guest is an expert in technology in the classroom. She's a former elementary classroom teacher and is currently an instructional technology specialist in North Texas. And she is one of a handful of people selected to be an Apple Distinguished Educator. I think there's less than 2,500 Apple Distinguished Educators in the whole world, so we're really thankful to have her on our show. Welcome, Morgan Cave. Thank you for joining us today. How are you doing today? I'm great. Um, I mean, you know, as well as somebody can be quarantined in their home. Right. Oh, I know it's it's a super challenging time for us um, to be doing these types of things. They can't meet in person, and we're having to operate remotely as educators. It's um it's a new uh, you know endeavor for a lot of people. <laughs> so um, I kind of wanted to start by uh, talking about kind of what sets this podcast apart um, from other podcasts. Um, before we get started, and one thing I wanted to point out that our podcast here is kind of dedicated to keys for growth and really drilling down on a specific um, one or two types of different keys that allow um, teachers who or educators who watch this podcast or sorry, listen to this podcast um, to come away with something they can actually work with. So whether it's something they can immediately go and implement in their classroom or something they can um, start to set a long-term goal and work towards, um, but something that they can take from this and move forward. So um, I, I'm, like I said, I'm so glad you were able to join us today. You are my first podcast guest ever. So thank you. It's a huge honor. And I'm really <laughs> excited to see where this goes. Yeah, me too. So my first big question for you today, it, it's, it's a tough one. Um, what's one misconception that you think people have about technology in classrooms or even implementing technology in a classroom? I think that the biggest one really is, is that technology is different from any other instructional tool um, because it's not. It's just like anything else. So when you're talking about bringing in tools or apps or software, it's just like any other resource that you want to vet and uh, you know really do your research on before you start using it. Uh, classroom management, that's always a big one. Classroom management with devices is just like classroom management without. Um, and good teaching is good teaching, whether that involves technology or not. So that's something that I come back to a lot in conversations when I'm coaching teachers that think about what you were already doing and what you already know about best practices and good teaching and technology doesn't change that. Um, I do think it can highlight things. Things that are not going well in your room will often be highlighted by technology um, coming in, but we should approach it just like any other uh, practice or tool or strategy that we use. Yeah, I can totally see how like those things that would be going not so well to begin with are highlighted by technology, especially like classroom management. Yeah, that is a huge one. And that's a fear that a lot of people have coming into technology in general is what does that management piece looks like? And so uh, with my team, we do a lot of role playing and scenarios and trainings so that people can hopefully come to that conclusion that um, it's just your regular, strong, good classroom management. Um, mm-hmm. All of those things that work with students without devices are successful when students have devices as well. So leading into that, 
I mean, you've been in, I mean, you used to have your own classroom and you're an elementary school teacher and you, you've been into tons of classrooms at this point in time. When you walk into a classroom that is really successfully using technology as an instructional tool, tell us what that looks like. Well, going back to that first question, I think you can immediately tell you have to have good classroom management. Because if you didn't have a handle on what your kids were doing and how your classroom was running before you introduced devices, um, then the devices aren't going to be successful coming in either. Uh, I think it looks like a very student-centered classroom. So student-driven instruction, student-driven activities, students working independently, um, collaboratively in groups. And then um, one thing that really sets successful rooms apart for me is seeing students take that technology to the next level. So actually creating things and building things and using media and other things that devices offer that they couldn't have done before. Um, so there's a place for everything. You know, uh, there's certainly a place for maybe watching a reteaching video or completing a quick assessment because you can get that data immediately uh, or even maybe a quick skill-based practice. Um, but what really drives technology for me is that you can do things that were not previously possible. And so that's what I'm looking for in a, in a classroom that I think is successful in their implementation students, you know, creating videos, um, recording audio, creating media animations, um, you know, those kinds of things that are unique to the device itself. Yeah, that's, that's really great. I think, um, from a lot of people probably hearing you just now, um, they're probably really intimidated. They're probably like, oh my gosh, recording audio and making videos and doing all these things on technology. Um, and, and I know for people who have not been using technology in the classroom, that's um, uh, really stressful to even imagine like um, losing kind of that control. So um, if, if you had to give people two keys to implementing technology in the classroom successfully, what would those two keys be, do you think? The first one I think is that you really have to be a, and it sounds so cliche, but I truly mean this and believe it. You have to be a lifelong learner. So you have to know that things are constantly, and especially with technology, but in education all the time, things are constantly evolving and changing. And what we know about how kids learn or what we know about strategies and tools that work, um, that information changes all the time. And so we have to be lifelong learners and change with that information and be willing to grow and improve as we learn more. And so I think that that's um, a really, really important piece of being successful with technology, because as soon as you learn how something works, it's going to have an update or there's going to be a new one or the device changes or, you know, there's a new OS or, or something has changed. So you have to be a lifelong learner. Um, and, you know, you can't be stagnant in where you are. You've got to be willing to, okay, I'm, I'm never going to be a finished product. You know, I'm always going to have to keep learning and keep growing um, to stay current and to stay successful. Um, and another one would be letting go of, um, things always going well. Mm. And that can be hard. Um, so, you know, we're going to try, I have to be okay with trying something new and that the first time you do anything, it's not going to go well. And that's with technology or with any other 
practice, you know, the first time you do yoga or the first time you go for a run or the first time you cook something that's really hard, it's probably not going to be the most perfect, you know, outcome that it could have been because it's the first time you're doing it. And you have to embrace that with technology too. And I think that that's where a lot of people quit. You know, they're a little bit intimidated. They try it. It didn't go well. And they think, well, I can't do this. And so I'm not going to do it again. Um, But that happens to everybody. And so um, letting go of that and being willing to try something new and being okay with it not going well. And the important thing is that you learn something from that, you know, which, which piece didn't go well and how do I change that for the next time? Um, So you can reflect on that and then, you know, keep improving, which kind of circles back to that being a lifelong learner, that continuous improvement. Um, so I think those, those two pieces can really help anyone be successful with implementing technology or again, any new strategy, any tool, um, just being, you know, having that open mindset, Mm -hmm. I think that really helps. Yeah. And like you said, I, um, I totally agree. You know, practice is one of those things, you know, we, we praise our kids for it all the time. It's like praise practice. I mean, a lot of people are familiar with um, Carol Dweck's work in uh, child development. And, you know, she talks about praising practice um, and effort as yeah. opposed to um, ability. And I think that, I mean, that goes for everybody across the board, even teachers who are starting to do this. I mean, like you, you have to practice at anything to get better. Yeah. And I think that we know those things about kids, but we don't always show ourselves the same grace um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, we don't always practice what we preach. There is kind of like, um, you know, this sweeping movement for all students to have one-to-one technology in the classroom, which is super great. Um, I know um, you and I both are embracers of technology and we love it when um, we can get that technology and have those uh, learning resources for our students. Um, But there is a lot of classrooms out there that are not one-to-one who are struggling. They maybe have like a few computers on their uh, campus, or maybe they're lucky enough to have one or two computers or iPads in the classroom or rotating sets or things like that. Um, What's one tip you could give those classrooms who aren't one-to-one yet? Well, my first thought is I'm so interested to see what that looks like after this experience with the whole distance learning, learning at home quarantine, because I think that this has really highlighted the resources that people have and don't have. And I think that we've also learned that it's not just the access to the device, but the access to connectivity and internet too. So I'm really interested to see how that changes as we come back. Um, But going back to your original question, I think you work with what you have as best you can. And even with a small set or even one, you can start building that idea of using them to create things, working independently, digital citizenship. Um, I think that there's a little bit of a misconception that students know how to use devices because a lot of them have personal devices at home or maybe they access a, a parent or a sibling's device. But what we've learned from experience is that they really don't. 
because it's mm-hmm. different. The way you use a device at home is different from the way you use a device at school. So even if you just have one or a few, you can start building that idea of what they're used for at school and how do we use them that we use them to demonstrate our learning. And that can be in small groups instead of the whole group, or that might look like working through a center or something guided with the teacher, or even working in pairs where you're creating a video and everybody has a part and you really only need one device to film or record audio, or, you know, maybe it's creating a class podcast. And so everybody has parts. So I think you work with what you have, but I do think that everyone is going to move to that. And I think that's going to be accelerated by this distance learning experience. And so uh, the important thing and the tip I would give to somebody who's not there yet is start building that mindset and those procedures of what that looks like for you, because you are going to get there. Um, And I I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. And that's a great piece. And that really leads into my next question with, you know, that was, you know, we were just talking about if you don't have one-to-one devices, um, you know, what that could look like in the classroom. You did a really good job of explaining that, but you ended kind of with um, talking about making the movement into technology. There's a lot of people who are just now starting to dip their toe into technology and using it in their classroom. If somebody today is starting from square one with technology in their classroom, Um, what's a piece of advice you could give them to immediately turn around and start moving forward on that? I think with most things, the best approach is to start simply Mm -hmm. and you, you don't have to jump in and try to different things and put your whole classroom online and well, okay, maybe right now during a quarantine you do, Um, (laughs) but start with one thing. So, you know, if you want to get a lot of bang for your buck, maybe you're a primary teacher and that means you're starting with Seesaw because you can do a lot in that one app. And that helps you, but it also helps your students because like I talked about in that in that last question, maybe this is their first time using a device for learning. And so your students being able to start simply that um, prepares them for success too. Um, but don't feel like you have to do everything all at once and you've got to just jump right into the deep end and be like your neighbor who's been using their technology for a few years. Um, I mean, just start simply and simply start. Um, I also think that going back to what we kind of talked about, about keys to success, letting that idea go that you have to be the expert that's something else that will help with getting started. And I know what I'm about to say, something you and I have talked about a lot is I love trying something new with the students and you're not the expert and you, you know, you vetted a resource and you know, it's safe for them. And then you can just say, Hey, we are going to start using this app in our classroom to learn and to communicate and create. And I'm going to set a timer today for five minutes. And I want you to open it and explore And then maybe at the end of the time, you have them share with a neighbor or a table or even the whole class what they figured out. You take that pressure off yourself. You don't have to be the expert. And honestly, you're never going to be because there's just too much out there. Um, So you can take that off yourself and let your students really become experts and really empower them to lead what that looks like in your classroom. Um, And so, you know, we have, I think as the teachers, we are used to, we have the answers, we're the experts, we're the know-it-alls. Um, I know I was that kid. I've been that person my whole life. But in this arena, um, I really let that go and let my students do that 
And, um, I think that that really changed the whole approach to how they learned and how I I learned, um, when we all were able to become experts in our own little things and then share with each other. It was more of a collaborative, we're all learning together environment, which sets everyone up, you know, to feel like they can try new things and that they have support there to catch them when it's not going well. And I love that. That's something I stole from you personally. And, you know, I I think as teachers, we want everything to be perfect. You know, we're always told, you know, make really good lesson plans, pre-plan your questions, get everything thought out, have it all flushed out and ready to go. And when it comes to technology, a lot of times um, just giving them the reins and say, well, we're going to learn this together. And you don't have to sit down and learn the app and make everything like perfect and set it up and guide them through every piece of the app before you get there. Let them explore, let them take over and have some ownership of that. Yeah. And I, um, I definitely learned that through experience. So, you know, for background, I taught one-to-one for four years. And then this is my third year as a specialist. So I'm seven years into this journey. And that first year, I for sure tried to make first graders sit there while I mirrored my iPad and showed them how to do every little thing. And that's not a successful way to teach them how to use an app. They're not listening. They just want to touch it. They just want to do it. They're all figuring out their own thing. You know, I'm still trying to show them how to add a text box and four of them have figured out how to export it as a video already. Uh, so, you know, just let that go. And, and I learned that from them really through, I learned that the hard way. And, you know, I think about when I taught math and science and you would hear, okay, when the first time you use your pattern blocks, give them a few minutes to, you know, try them out and just free play and explore and, you know, have fun with it. Well, why not with the apps, you know, why not with their tools and let them kind of figure things out and make observations on their own. And then you start using it. Hmm. I mean, it's perfectly perfectly reasonable, and um, there's also a, a large push in the educational community right now for a lot of um, project based project based learning and uh, STEM exploration and things like that. And I think this kind of goes hand in hand with that um, learning through experiences and Absolutely. letting those experience guide the instruction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my last question for you is kind of a a funny one. Um, it's what's your favorite app? Like everybody wants to know, everybody wants to know what's the technologies expert's favorite classroom app, or actually you can give me two, you can give me your favorite app and, or, and then give me something that somebody who's familiar with technology and expert may have not have heard before something like off the wall. Well, I'm glad you said I could give you two because I was going to give you two anyway. I think I've answered everything with more than you asked for. Um, That's okay. But I'm I'm just so passionate and excited about all these things. But okay, so I think that Keynote is the most underrated, underutilized app. And um, to quote, I think my I think I took this from my friend uh, Jess Garrigan, and she says it's the Swiss Army knife of the iPad. And I wholeheartedly agree because you can create animations, you can animate line drawings, you've got the shape library, magic move, um, using instant alpha to create your own green screen effects. I mean, you can just, the world is your oyster when it comes to Keynote. So um, I think it's a great, uh, you get a lot of bang for your buck and you can do a lot. You know, your kids can create videos, but they can also just create slides and images and you can go as simple or as complex as you want. And you have a ton at your fingertips all in one app. 
Um, and I really love that because again, when we can teach our kids, you know, give them a lot of depth with one tool, they can really get to know that tool well and do a lot with it. Um, and I think that that sets them up for success instead of having to learn five different tools and remember what each one does, they can do all of that in one. Um, plus the menu is the same then if they want to transfer that across the other iWork apps. So if they want to use numbers or pages, they're going to find the same menus and the same layout. So then you can start expanding that a little bit. So Keynote so if somebody is, was, uh, sorry, sorry. If oh, somebody okay. was new to Keynote and they were like, I have no idea where to start. Do you have any good resources or ideas of where they could get some information starting or suggestions on how they could start? So I really love Twitter for learning. I think that's the best way that I learn. And you can search the hashtag everyone can create. You can search um, Apple EDU chat and you can, I'm a very visual person. And so I love to see examples and that's where I get a lot of ideas or learn how to do new things. So um, I love to do that. I try to find examples and I curate them in a wakelet um, that I share with teachers and PDs so they can see those examples um, and I also, if you're just starting out and you have an iPad, Keynote is available on the iPad or the Mac. I think the iPad is a little bit more accessible because the interface is a little bit more simple and a little bit cleaner. So you can do the same things for the most part in on both versions, but I, I like getting started with the iPad because it's really anything you want to add is under that plus sign and anything you want to format is under that paintbrush and beyond that. Um, everything's within those two places. So I think that's really simple. Um, I mean, Keynote is just, I mean, adding audio for little kids is amazing. Be able to add those drawings. Keynote couldn't do that yet when I was in the classroom and I just want to go back and redo everything in Keynote. Yeah, I can totally see that for sure. And then, okay, my second answer here for people that use technology, I am surprised at how many people haven't used Clips yet. And mm. so Clips is on um, iOS, so iPhone or iPad, and it is the only way that I make videos now. And I used to be a big iMovie fan, um, and I think iMovie is great. Clips is so easy to put together really, really great, polished-looking videos with effects, with uh, music, with stickers and arrows and underlining and all kinds of things. Um, really quickly. Um, and that's how I do all of my how to's, you know, if I get an email that says I need help with this again, I think, especially when you're talking about technology, people need to see. And so rather than me trying to type out this menu of steps and taking screenshots and dropping them in, I'm going to make a clips video and send it back. That's how we've been making our videos for our student corner website, where we've got tutorials for students. Um, any of our at home learning resources. Now I'm putting everything together in clips. Um, so I love it for me. I think teachers could make really great videos for students, just quick things or tutorials. Um, but then it's also great for students. You know, maybe they're going to go around and find examples of something, whether it's a shape or an attribute um, or, you know, different forms of energy or all kinds of things. If they can create a retelling, um, anything you can think of, they can create eclipse and it's really, really fun. Um, so I feel like it's a good one size fits all, whether you're a, um, parent wanting to make videos of, you know, something you did with your kids and send it out to the family, or you're a teacher or you're a student who's going to show what they learned. I think there's something for everybody in clips. 
I'm going to ask you like a little bonus question too, since both of the apps you talked about were in iOS, I'm going to ask you the hard question. Is there an app that you could recommend that would be available on the Android platform for those people who have are Android based? (laughs) Yes, uh, for sure. So I really like uh, Google Jamboard. Mm. And I think that that's a lot of when a lot something that a lot of people have not explored yet. And it is available as an iOS app, but it's also just a web tool. So you can access that um, in your browser. And it is kind of like if you had now, let's see on the spot, I'm going to butcher this, but I feel like it's a little bit like having a whiteboard and a Padlet and a Google Doc all together in one. So I'm really liking that tool. We've used it a couple times as a reflection piece in PDs recently. So it's a collaborative tool and students can draw, they can type, they can add images, you can upload a file, you can have different slides within it. Uh, So it's a great collaboration piece. I really like Jamboard. And I think that's kind of a newer thing that a lot of people haven't tried yet or heard of yet. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for spending some time with us. Just to sum up a couple of our uh, key takeaways, something you said, um, just a recap, was that one key to success for us today was always be a lifelong learner. And the second one is letting go, kind of embracing technology, letting kids take over and stepping outside of your comfort zone, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, once again, thank you. Um, if anybody else would like to hear from Morgan Kidd, Morgan, you actually have your own podcast. It's called Making Your Mark, and you actually just published a books and iBook, right? I did, um, and it's called Opening Doors to Access, and it's all about accessibility features um, so that students can access content and create content on their iPads. That's amazing. And Morgan, thank you so much once again for joining us today. And I want to thank all of our listeners out there for who joined in and listened to our podcast today. Uh, my name is Brandon Handy, and I hope I helped you find your stride today. Tune in next time for another episode of Finding Your Stride. Thanks.